If you have your Bibles, just pull those Bibles near you, and I don't have mine. Aaron, could you run that up to me, please? Thank you, ma'am. And uh, we're going to jump in today. Uh, my heart this morning is full, and so uh, I need some prayer. I need your prayers, and I need, I need my own prayers to, how, to, 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 to try to take everything that's swirling around in my heart and my mind and make sense of it all uh, in a clear way that we can all as a people grab a hold of. And so um, we're going to be talking here for the next few weeks on what I'm just deeming the state of the house the state of the house. So the next few weeks will be our state of the house address. And uh, hopefully that will help frame the past couple of years. And it will also help frame our future and grant unto us some clarity and some resolution for our faith to hook into and for our agreement to hook into and for understanding to come and for us to move forward as a people, because that's what I believe the Lord is doing. I believe he is forming us and he is moving us forward. Can I get a little bit of agreement on that one? Amen. So I'm going to pray, and we're going we're gonna to start with the word, and then I'm going to uh, just give a couple of biblical frameworks and a couple of biblical themes that will be applicable to all of our lives individually, but I think will be very significant to where we are as a people currently. And let me just throw a couple of disclaimers out. Number one, for all of our friends that are joining us today in this service for the very first time, um, we have been on a journey. So today may feel a little atypical because I'm going to actually speak to some things that are very pertinent to who we are as a church. And um, I do believe that some of the things we're going to be talking through, uh, they touch the wider body of Christ. They, I believe, will also uh, be relevant to you and your own journey. But I'm going to talk about some house issues today and for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable about any of that. Uh, again, I believe God is able to and will speak to you through that. Uh, second disclaimer I want to make is... Um, much like my talk after the elections, I'm probably not going to overly satisfy every single person in the house today. And that's just the nature of living in the tension of where God is taking us. And so I'm just going to ask, prepare your heart, prepare your heart, prepare your mind. We're not enemies and we are all doing our absolute best to humbly uh, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit together. We're on the same team. We're in the same family. All right, let's pray. Father, we do love you and we do honor you today. We're so grateful for the vibrancy and the life, the efficacy of your spirit that's tangible and palpable here uh, in our service today. And Lord, this is something that we believe is a gift from you. It's something that's a sweet kiss from you, but it's, it's also, I believe, a sign, and it's also a wonder. It's a sign that uh, you are, in a very real way, present with your people. And it's a sign, Father, that we are, we are with you. We are moving in step with you, and we're grateful for that. Father, we ask today that every one of us would operate in such a spirit of humility and grace uh, that my words would be seasoned with grace and life and salt. 
Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to the voice of the Spirit. And if there would be anything that is of me that is not of you, that does not represent you well, that does not flow from your heart, and that does not speak to truth, uh, would you cause those words and those attitudes and those emotions to not even come through this vessel, but that you would govern the words of my mouth and, uh, and that you would be pleased and glorified as you are shaping and forming this community of faith for your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I wanna begin by thanking a number of you who have so graciously texted or Facebook messaged or emailed uh, Christy and me over the past several weeks and just expressed your encouragement to us. That means more to us than you will ever know. Uh, At many times, Uh, Christy would catch something and she'd read it to me and tears would well up in her eyes, my eyes, or both of us. Because leading a people through transition, you guys, can be a very scary and lonely and challenging process. And at times we have wrestled with, is this all worth it? At times we've wrestled with, are we doing this the right way? At times we've wrestled with, God, are we really hearing from you after all? And on and on and on, so many questions go. And anytime you get more than two people in a room in close proximity walking a journey for a long time, there's gonna be disagreement. And we've got more than two people here. There's gonna be disagreement on how we think things should go. My little Smeagol there, how we think things should go, right? You know, we feel like, I feel like worship should go longer. I feel like preaching should go longer. I don't like the table. I love the table. I'm connecting with God on this. I'm not connecting with God on this. We should preach more marketplace sermons. We should preach more. I mean, there's, everyone has an opinion and everyone has a preference And all of those are extremely valid. And as we are learning to become not just a group of individuals, as we're learning to be the people of God, moving in tandem with where God is leading us, that just requires really a lot of humility and a lot of dying to self and a lot of us saying, God, yes, show me how to do this. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So let me just give you a couple of biblical frameworks. They're really, I think, prophetic metaphors on where I think we are as a people. The first one, very simply, is the metaphor of pilgrimage. And we find this all throughout, particularly the Old Testament. We also find references of this in the New Testament through the book of Acts, all of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, We see this in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. We see this, this metaphor of the people of God being on pilgrimage or being uh, as sojourners, being on a journey with God. Every single one of us are on a journey with God. And we as Antioch Church are on a journey together. And if we would take a look at Genesis chapter 12, the, the, the Jewish father of our faith, a man by the name of Abram at that time, God later changed his name to Abraham, But our roots in Christianity uh, are tethered to the roots of Judaism, which we read the story of Judaism, which is God's redemptive work through the people of Israel that begin 
with a man by the name of Abram. And Genesis 12 verse one says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, leave, leave, go, venture out, go from your people and go from your father's household to the land I will show you. And he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. All throughout our Christian life, I believe God invites us on journey with him. And that can be scary that can be a little nerve wracking because typically when he invites us or when he calls us to go from one place to the other, he doesn't give us a ton of direction. It's usually just, will you follow me into obedience? One of the things I love about the profiles, particularly of the Old Testament, is that God is, he has no problem revealing the weaknesses of humanity to the rest of us. The Bible is full of men and women of God who put their lives of obedience and faith on display for the world to see, and they're not all perfect. And that's actually very encouraging. I think it should be encouraging for us because in a lot of ways, the life of faith is a life of trial and error. It's not a life of perfection. It's not a life of us nailing it and getting it right every single time. And the Lord knows I have not gotten it right in leading this house. I'm not talking about gross moral sin. I'm just talking about changes that we make or ideas that we uh, introduce in our pursuit of following Christ and being formed as a people. So the first metaphor here is a metaphor of journey. And anyone who's taken a family road trip and has kids. Thank you, Kevin. Are we there yet? I feel like I've gotten this from my kids, like going from my house to the mall. Like, seriously, we left the house two minutes ago. No, we are not at Coldstone yet. Wait. And there will always be this sense of, are we there yet? And that's not all bad. That's not entirely a bad thing. It says to us, we know that we were created, and I'm gonna throw a big theological word out to you. We were created with a telos, which means a purposeful end or a purposeful destination in mind. We're not just going in circles. We're not just spinning our wheels on earth and wasting our time. We were created towards a teleological end. God has a purpose in mind. He is growing us. He is moving us. He is shaping us. He's maturing us. He is forming us. And along this journey, some of us in the body might be uh, more privy to enjoying certain aspects of the journey than others. Some of us in the natural may love mountains. Christy is personally a water girl. She loves the ocean. So when we take mountain trips, I, I am in heaven. I love it. And she's like, I love being with you. But when we travel the Pacific Coast Highway from San Diego to LA, or she goes down to the Gulf Shores, or anywhere where there is water, she loves that part of the journey. 
and some of you guys might love that rustic desert scene, the, the red rocks of Utah, beautiful, beautiful, I just, that, that really resonates with you. And some of you amazingly graced people might love that long stretch on I-70 across Kansas. I don't think anybody loves that. Oh, we got one, we got one in the house, I love it. You know, I mean, <laughs> special, special people, just wonderfully graced and gifted people for that. And I've driven that. We have driven that a lot. And you know, part of our journey, there's going to be parts of our journey that connect more with some folks in the house, and there's going to be parts that connect more with others. This is why back in September, when Jonathan and I introduced the idea that we really have become, as a culture and as a generation, and really as a people in the body of Christ at large, we have become focused on the micro narrative or the short story or just the episode in the grand series. And it's so important for us to understand, guys, that we really are tethered to something much, much bigger than our little view of what Christianity is. And, and, and really, more importantly so, we're tethered to something a lot bigger than what's happening in the service from season to season. If we really believe that God has called us to be a fivefold people, we cannot realistically emphasize all aspects and elements of the fivefold with equal weight and intensity every Sunday. It's impossible. And as I reflect on the past couple of years, I really look at two years ago as a season where God was saying, this is a season to grow as a pastoral people. This is a season to understand what it means to walk with people through tragedy, crisis, death, trauma, difficulty. This is what it means to be a healing community. This is what it means to care deeply. This is what it means to be able to listen well and be able to empathize with the pain of people's lives well. That is an important part of who God is. And that is an important part of developing as a people. As I look back at 2016, I, I think that 2016 was a year where God was emphasizing the teacher, where he was saying, in essence, there are some things in your theological foundations, there are some things in your understanding of the church at large and the church historically, there are some elements of tradition and doctrine and truth that you're not completely... Um, adequate in as a people. And I'm speaking to myself primarily. And so he takes us through seasons where that's emphasized a little bit more. I think as we go into 2017, I, I really believe it's going to be a season where we're going to see the apostolic and the evangelist emphasized a little bit more. I really sense, and I'll share this in the next couple of weeks, that God wants to turn the heart and the focus and the attention of this people towards the neighborhoods and the cities and the marketplace and the lost of our city that do not know this incredible gospel and this amazing God that we love and serve. But it's all of it, and it just so happens that we have just been walking through different seasons and different chapters as a people. And I know that for all of my prophetic folk, uh, you might be saying, well, when, Lord? When, Lord? What about me? What about, I heard him say everything but the prophetic anointing and gifting. And I, I, I sense that the Lord is, he is going to resurrect that. 
And he is going to allow us and shape us and lead us in reevaluating that. And here's the thought that I had this morning. I really believe it was a Holy Spirit inspired thought. You need to know something from my heart. I love this stream too much to abandon it. I love the beautiful dimensions of the apostolic, prophetic, intercessory warfare, uh, deliverance branch of Christendom. I love it too much to abandon it. I also love it too much to not investigate it more deeply so that it can fit properly within the body of Christ and the kingdom and so that it can have the credibility it deserves and so that it can serve the body of Christ in the kingdom. I am not in any way turning my back on that dimension of God or that dimension of the kingdom. You know, seven years ago, a week ago today, we celebrated seven years of leading this house in the senior capacity. And we went through three, what I call mass exoduses. Mass exits. And one of those happened literally the week after Dutch Sheet said, I'm handing this work off to Jade. And the first exit happened literally the next week, a fallout. Six months later, Dutch said, hey, I want you guys to stick with this kid for six months. And literally I had people come up to me six months to the day and say, Dutch asked me to stay six months and it's six months today and this is my last Sunday. Thank you very much. And then about nine months from that day, which brought us into about March, April of 2011, we had another, and that really wasn't an exit as much as that was ascending, which was amazing. We actually, in this fledgling uh, church that survived such incredible transition, we actually helped to launch and plant a church of some of our best families and couples. It was absolutely amazing, and it speaks to the apostolic church planting, multiplying DNA that God has in this house. But through that tenuous time of transition, uh, me stepping into really, really big shoes, me learning uh, to carry a, a larger weight, me still being, what, 33 years old and, and finding so many things out, we had a lot of people say, we're not as intercessory as we used to be. We're not as prophetic as we used to be. We're not as focused on the nation as we used to be. We're all about the nations. We're all about souls. That's all we're about now. And our response to that was, listen, we're not, any, we're, we're not abandoning our love for the nation. We're not abandoning our governmental call to intercession. We're not abandoning that. We're just adding to it. And it just seemed like that was a tension and a transition that some people just had a hard time and a difficulty embracing. My heart on the matter is I'm not looking to, to do away with anything as much as I'm looking to redeem it, restore it, and add to it. Because I believe that's the kingdom. And I kind of have this naive idea that God may actually want to be adding some things to the apostolic prophetic movement in Christianity and actually going backwards to things that we've abandoned and left behind. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Here's Psalm 84 verse five, I thought was just a really poignant verse for where we are at. And it speaks to some different things in following God, but I just thought it was really good. Psalm 84 five Alyssa says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Any cursory study in church history, we will find 
that the church that Jesus has built and the church that Jesus is building goes through a cycle. And the cycle pretty much looks like following Christ, God introduces something new by way of theology or by way of revelation or by way of experience. A segment of the church embraces that and experiences renewal or transformation. Another segment of the church rejects that and stays where they are at. And we can see this from the Protestant Reformation and Luther. We can see this from Calvinism. We can see this from uh, the Wesleyan movement. We can see this all the way up into 1906 with uh, revival, the Azusa revival and the birth of Pentecostalism. And we can see that all throughout church history, particularly with the Protestant Reformation, we can see that for every new quote unquote thing that God was doing, there are a group of people that followed and there are a group of people that chose not to. You guys tracking with that? And this is no indictment on any denomination. This is no indictment on any group of people that didn't embrace certain aspects of the full gospel and the fullness of God. It just speaks to a pattern that we see that we are now, I believe, sitting, not just Antioch, but I believe the church worldwide is sitting at a crossroads. Because if we're not careful, and I'm gonna speak to this, you know, for all the wonderful, beautiful elements of our stream, there are some things that if we're not careful, they'll hurt us. They're blind spots. They're blind spots. And one of those blind spots is, particularly with Pentecostals, charismatics, and prophetic people, we kind of have a little bit of spiritual pride in thinking that, that, that we are always on the cusp and the cutting edge of what God's doing. And you know, it's, it's, it feels very, very eerily similar to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Because those were the ones that were commissioned to be able to spot, recognize, and discern the Messiah when he came. And they missed him because, because he did not look like what they expected him to look like. How in the world can we honor things that are tethered to 2,000 years of church history and tradition and still be new? How can we do that? I'll tell you how. It's called the Spirit of God who's been around for eternity. I'll tell you how. It's because life is not in a form. Life is in the Spirit that we approach the form with. And everything that is old is not necessarily bad or religious or sterile or a pathway into religious spirits. There are, there are things that are, that are hidden. And Jesus said this. He said that the wise man is the one who brings out treasures, both old and new. And I feel like God is inviting us and leading us into a journey whereby we, with grace and humility, we marry the old with the new. Not just for the sake of doing that, but because there are things that he wants to dust off and uncover and restore that are vital and critical for us as a people and for his kingdom and for the earth. And I can't tell you that I understand all of that, but I can tell you I am passionately pursuing understanding. And I just ask that we as a people would carry that same pursuit. The second metaphor is very simply the metaphor of following Jesus. And it's, that's not really a metaphor per se. It's, it's, it's a call, it's a commission, it's a command, but it's one that is very, very relevant to where we are as a people. Let me show you here in Matthew chapter four and look at verse 18. 
Matthew chapter four, verse 18, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And, and I just love that, particularly in the NIV translation, it says, as Jesus was walking, which implies movement. It implies, I'm going somewhere, why don't you come along with me? I'm going somewhere that you've not been before and I'm inviting you to come with me. I'm inviting you to follow me. So as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus says, and I will send you out to fish for people. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. Notice that in both of these scriptures, both in Genesis 12 and here in Matthew 4, following God and following Jesus on pilgrimage and journey imply leaving something behind. Leaving something behind, it could be mindsets, it could be paradigms, it could be attitudes, it could be our sacred cows, it could be, it could be anything. But following God into the next venture of where he's leading will always lead us to leave something dear and known and safe and secure behind. And here's the prophetic and the personal application for this. Guys, listen, this year, God is, God is inviting and calling you onto the next leg of pilgrimage and journey. And it might mean stepping out of that job and venturing in to a new business. It might mean letting go of certain entertainment pleasures so that you can focus on writing and reading and studying. It might mean that you give up certain opportunities so that you can go back to school. I don't know what your personal application is, but you're on pilgrimage and it requires faith and it requires obedience to launch out into the unknown. God is not always gonna call you into things that are safe. And if everything in your Christian life is known and secure and safe, can I just pose the question, are you following Jesus? If you're waiting to engage your neighbor until you've got the entire script laid out and mapped out, if you're waiting to befriend someone until you know exactly how it's gonna end, you're gonna live a risk-free, safe life and you are not going to fulfill the destiny of God on your life. And it's messy and it's chaotic and it can be a little fearful and there's gonna be some decisions that you make out of your obedience to follow Jesus that some people aren't gonna understand. Even your family members, your father, your mother, your children, your, your, your closest friends, they may not understand it. And this doesn't mean we've got to be ugly and rude about it. It just means you need to understand that in pilgrimage, you're not going to have it all figured out. And in our prophetic circles, we like to use language like pathfinders and pioneers, which I embrace. But we need to remember that pathfinders and pioneers did not have everything figured out before they ventured out into the paths that God led them into. So there's been a lot of questions and I, I hope I, you don't feel like I'm like sidestepping or scapegoating or any of this, but here's the simple answer to the question. Where is all of this going? I'm following Jesus and I'm stepping out of a boat because I feel Jesus say, come. Come. 
Third metaphor is the metaphor of building. And there's a number of really, really fun verses here that have a lot of really powerful implications for God's people. And I'll just brush on them very, very lightly. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll look at verse 4 together and verse 5. So Peter admonishes the church. He says, as you come to Jesus, who is the living stone, he was rejected by humans, but he was chosen by God and precious to him. Following Jesus might mean rejection. Following your convictions will almost always lead to rejection. And here's how I know. It's not really a conviction until you get rejected and persecuted for it. It's really just a good idea otherwise. And if everybody is loving and everybody is celebrating and everybody is supporting where you feel like God's leading you, it might not be conviction yet until you get the hate emails, until you get people leaving without conversations, until you get people uh, accusing you of certain things, all of which I have experienced in the past six months and beyond and all of which I consider a great privilege. They have formed me, they have shaped me, they have humbled me, they've broken me, they have matured me, they have steadied me, and they have driven conviction deeper into me. So for all my haters, thank you. (laughs) Verse five, Christy's going, it was really good up until that moment. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Where is this all going? We are being built into a spiritual house. And in being a living stone, you will not always be noticed. And you won't always be celebrated and you won't always be seen and your idea of what's best and your preference and your opinion won't always be the crown jewel that stands out because you're a stone. And I'm a stone. We're just a stone. And we're stones that are being built by the master architect, God, who is shaping and fitting and connecting us together for something that is greater together than it could ever be alone. Where's this all going? We are learning how to be the temple of God collectively. And I've never seen this before, but just follow the rest of the verse with me. It says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Notice you are being built. It's not complete yet and will not be complete until God consummates his work of the kingdom in the earth. So we will always in some way or another be in this place of tension and uncertainty as we follow Christ. It's because he's the one who's got the blueprints. We don't have the blueprints and he shows us the blueprints in part. Because if we got the blueprints, inevitably what we would do is we'd start building those blueprints the way that we think those blueprints are supposed to be based on our own idea, understanding, experience, education, and preference, and we'd jack it all up. So then he says, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm 
compelled as I start the new year to really saturate myself in Acts and First and Second Corinthians as, uh, as I just focus on our ecclesiology here in 2017. And the beginning of Acts, or the beginning of First Corinthians chapter three, Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth, and he's essentially telling them that when I brought the gospel to you, and when I brought the kingdom of God to you, and I brought this message, and we helped form you from being a group of individuals apart from God into the people of God, the analogy is that of someone building a building. And he says, all I did was I laid a foundation. And the foundation I laid was on the centrality of the cross and the resurrection, this gospel that is our doorway into the greater kingdom. That's our foundation. And look at chapter three, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and now someone else is building on it. Someone else is building on it. It's going to look a little bit different. I've got to pass the baton off. There's got to be different graces and different gift mixes and different anointings based on the sovereign wisdom of God forming all this together. I'm just fulfilling the role that God has given me to fulfill. And then if you'll just skip, he talks more about this idea of building and laying foundation. It's all really, really masterful. But look at verse 16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And God's spirit dwells in your midst. We've got to understand, we've got to deprogram and deconstruct ourselves because we as Western Americans in the 21st century read everything through a privatized, independent, individualistic paradigm. So when we read that, we go, I, I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. No, we as living stones are being built, which implies submission, which implies that my obedience to God affects somebody other than me, which implies when I double down on my preference and my opinion, other people will be affected. And the kingdom is patient, but the kingdom will be affected by how we approach these things. Because here he goes on, he says, verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and say it with me, you together are that temple. I've never seen that before. Never wanted to see that before. I don't want to read the Bible thinking about you. It's not why I have my Devo time. I read the Bible for all the promises that are going to benefit me and give me my best life now. There's a little bit of sarcasm in that and a little bit of truth. Okay, so I, I just, I, I really feel like those are just some really good biblical handholds that just help guide us. We are people on journey. We're people following Jesus and we're also the spiritual building, the spiritual temple of God. We together are those things. So I've had a number of people saying, hey, we're really concerned about where you're leading the church. We've had a number of people say, hey, where's this all going? Um, and so let me just share some of my personal context here. And I've got roughly 15 minutes to do that. Um, let's talk about some of the changes over the past six months to nine months to, to a year 
as, as, as I think through, because when people say, where is all of this going? I, I immediately go, what is all of this? That is a very superlative and a very extreme statement. And let me just say this, because so few people are really talking with me, I'm really left to my own assumption and imagination on what all of this is. So with our team, with my wife, who has been amazing in this journey, might I add, I, I, I could not lead this pioneering venture without this amazing, strong, tender, gracious woman of God by my side, speaking into it, shaping me, provoking me, challenging me, governing me, helping to hold me back. And baby, I just want to say, I'm so proud of you. I'm just so grateful to be on this journey with you, love. It's been, it's been awesome. It's been amazing. Um, so here's just a couple of, just, just a survey. Number one, we open our services differently. So if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that typically uh, with the 25% of people that would show up at time, that was a subversive correction. It would be very, okay, it was kind of this mindset. Let's hype everyone up. Let's get everyone excited. Let's, let's admonish everyone to leave their problems at the door. And then here's what we began to realize as a team, and, and particularly myself, revelation came, understanding came through the help of this amazing team that I serve with. The things that we do on a regular basis, they're actually shaping and forming us as a people. They're shaping our expectations. They're shaping our worldview, our philosophy, our belief system. They're shaping what we expect in worship. And it kind of conditions us to come in for a concert. It kind of conditions us to say, we're not really welcome to come in the door with all of our junk and with all of the horrific things that have happened this week. We've got to almost buy into this dualistic mindset that all of our problems should stay at the door. And now we've got to put on our good church face and we just realized that's not really healthy. So now we open our services. We have a corporate reading that's taken from the lectionary. And I'm gonna teach you guys what the lectionary is because I'm discovering that there have been tools that I've been ignorantly unaware of and arrogantly unaware of for years. And now I'm kicking myself because there's actually been some incredible tools that many other aspects of the body of Christ have utilized. And I have personally witnessed the spirit of God moving with and through those tools. And I have had to repent. So we take a verse that comes straight from the lectionary. And I just wanna tell you, it has taken a ton of pressure off. Because prior to that, it was, let's get in here and let's just hear and let's hear and let's discern and let's think and let's, 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 let's draw that right, that perfectly designed, spirit-inspired scripture that's just going to be the key that unlocks. I'm being a little dramatic, but I'm telling you, that is the level of pressure that we on this front row feel. And then to realize, no, there are actually rhythms and there are actually tools and there are actually things that the Holy Spirit has breathed on, if you can imagine 1,600 years, that in his eternal sovereignty, he's still using. And somehow, because God is God, that what he engineered 1,600 years ago, he can actually still use today. I don't know how he does that, but I'm not God, so I don't have to. I just have to engage with those things with the spirit of faith and trust and obedience. And all of a sudden you start going, oh, God's using these things. So we open our services differently and we pray the Lord's prayer together. And for some of you who come out of particular mainline denominations or particular traditions of faith, that might feel dead, stale, cold, just religious. And I have determined 
that I am not going to introduce anything into this house to be a regular rhythm and practice until I feel I've got a pretty good understanding of it. So we just preached on the Lord's Prayer for nine months. And in that nine month period of time, something was formed in me, a conviction. Something was revealed to me that I hadn't understood yet. There was an invitation. And is it possible to pray the Lord's Prayer and there be no juice on it? Yes. Is it possible to do anything in life or Christendom and there be no juice on it? So whose fault is it? The perfect prayer and Jesus's fault that he gave us the perfect prayer? The prayer that you gave me. (laughs) Or is there something that can change in us? There's no magic in that prayer. But when we engage our hearts in humility, submission, and faith, utilizing the actual words of that prayer and all the tributaries that branch off from that model prayer shape us and change us as a people. I believe it with all my heart. A couple other quick things. Our worship. Um, We've gotten a lot of blowback on this. Something just doesn't feel the same. And I'm not trying to be condescending there. But I am using feeling very strategically, A, because that's the word that's been coming to us, and B, really at what point, like, do we live our life on feelings? Do I love? Do I forgive? Do I work out? Do I eat? Do I, do I, do I play with my kids? Do I read my word because I feel like that? And if so, guys, we have a very fundamental problem with our faith. We're in trouble. Do we just worship the king of ages because we feel like it or we sense his presence in the way that we are conditioned to sense it? It is a rhetorical question, but for anyone out there, the answer is no. In my journey with my wife there are and my family, there is a part of me that would love to live in La La Land. City of stars. <laughs> I want to live in the fantastical. I want to go to, I want to live in a perpetual sabbatical. I want to go to San Diego and not have to deal with my heater burning out like it did two days ago. I don't want to deal with that. I want to go watch Shamu jump through hoops and splash us all and take those photos and get those insanely expensive mugs that we can get refills with. And I'm feeling it. It's fun. It's exciting. I love vacations. But tomorrow, school starts again. And the grind, and the menial, and the mundane, and the monotonous. And listen, guys, if we can't find God and pull God and experience God in the boring, quiet, dry, I think it diminishes those other moments. And let me also tell you, when we do have those two-week vacations throughout the year, right around the time that that vacation starts winding down, something starts calling me. It calls me to the mundane, and it calls me to the purpose. 
It calls me to the labor, the grind of work. It calls me to my purpose and my assignment. And here's the point in all of this. Not everything that we do in God is gonna feel sensational. And we'll talk about that. The very common ordinary elements of bread and juice are designed to be unspectacular for a reason. Uh, which leads me to the third change. We honor the table of the Lord on a regular basis now. I grew up in a tradition that at best uh, recognized the table once a month and at worst honored the tradition of communion once a year and sometimes not even that for fear of being religious. That's sad to me. That's sad to me because I understand that you are what you love and your practices and your rhythms help shape your love. And when I engage in a tangible picture of Christ's body and his blood, broken and shed, blessed, broken, and freely given, something, even if I don't know it, is happening in my heart and it's reorienting me to the centrality of the cross and the resurrection, which is the cornerstone of our Christian life, our faith and our gospel. So I've had this question, are we becoming Catholic? (laughs) For any person who has felt that or thought that, I hope you don't feel bad that the majority of the church just laughed at you but we're not becoming Catholic. And if you knew anything about Catholicism, you would know that I've got to jump through a thousand hoops, become a Catholic priest. And you would know that the tenor of our service would look radically different. And as long as there's banners and people praying in tongues up here and crying out for people to get healed and worship services going 50 minutes to an hour, we're very far from being Catholic. I'm going to just keep moving on that one. Is that all right? Okay, um, my goodness. Okay, our position and our posture on the elections. That was a radical shift this year. And I'm not gonna re-preach everything I preached in the entire series of Revelation. And these two kind of go together. But as I've surveyed the past year, these were radical changes for us. I mean, we were all but political rallies. Every four years, our church services turned into political rallies. And Part of me did that because I didn't know any better. Part of me did that because I was honoring uh, the previous mindset and paradigm that was established in this house. But as I've come to understand certain elements of the scripture and culture and sociology and the kingdom and what it means to be a truly prophetic people, I've come to understand that to collude with one political party makes me uh, a, a, a partner to that party It makes me an enemy of the other, and I am prophetic to neither. If we really want to be a prophetic people, we must be prophetic to both sides of the aisle. We cannot sleep with Caesar and then prophesy to him. Okay. um, I love you. I love you guys. This might be a pretty good time to stop. Um, (laughs) What's that? (laughs) Yeah. So let me, let me, let me kind of give you a little teaser for next week and then we're going to come to the table. 
I went to school, um, I got two degrees in eight years. They were both in theology and I kind of walked away not really knowing any theology at all. In school, they had a mantra and that mantra was, everything in life grounds itself in proper theology. Science, technology, education, arts, media, business, everything is in some way connected to and it flows out of what your understanding of who God is, which is all theology is, it's the study of God. If we are a people who love God, the natural progression that follows is that we are a people who love theology because theology is nothing more than the study of God. I grew up with an ideology and I don't know exactly how or when this came in and somewhere along the journey, I became surrounded with people that, that advocated this worldview that to be intellectual or to study theology was actually a bad thing because it meant you were competing with the spirit. And there was no... No, no, it's good. I think my thumb accidentally hit it. I appreciate it. There was no room to actually have tension. There was no room to actually marry solid, biblical, grounded theology with spirit-led, charismatic expression. Or if it was, it just wasn't prominent. And the mantra of all of our theological teachers was, your philosophy of ministry determines your praxis of ministry. In other words, what you believe to be true about the scriptures and about God will determine everything you do out out of that. Everything flows out of what you believe to be true about God. And we have seen positive elements of this and we've seen negative elements of this throughout all of Christendom. And we get into dualism and a lot of philosophical things that have actually hurt the church over the years. I say all that to say, um, I have been shamedly very ignorant because I bought into some of those ideals. I bought in hook, line, and sinker. And uh, I was the kind of guy, I'd rather be on the streets witnessing to somebody. I'd, be, I'd rather be out in the churches trying to figure things out than, I, than, than, than doing the hard work. And let me, let, let me tell you guys, it's hard work. I just bought a book that's 1,200 pages on the first 3,000 years of Christian history or the first uh, 300 years of Christian history. And it's 1,200 pages and it sits there calling to me. And I don't want to touch it because it's hard work. It's hard work. And so there, there are massive gaps in my theological and church historical foundations that I feel implored by the Holy Spirit to go and fill up. And here's why, because it affects us. And more importantly, it affects our children. And more importantly, it affects their children. And I wanna build something that is gonna last longer than our song selection, our music preference, or our feelings. Because here's what I know. In the event that persecution actually comes to the steps of the church in America, which it is already happening all around the world, and we like to play la la land and not act like those things are reality, but if we, our charismatic experience driven theology is not sustainable enough, it's not. Because when you have family members that are getting thrown to prison for preaching messages like I preached in this church before, or when you have people walking out the door on you, or you have children or parents that are disowning you, or God forbid you actually have martyrdom happening, songs about how much you love Jesus aren't going to carry you. Songs about the redemptive story of God and what Christ has done through the cross and obedience to the sovereign triune God, that is what is going to sustain you.
So a couple of very quick points of clarity in the midst of uncertainty. Number one, we are not abandoning our charismatic apostolic prophetic DNA. We're not doing it. So to anybody, you heard it from the horse's mouth. We are examining the apostolic, prophetic, charismatic, Pentecostal in light of scripture, spirit, and practice, and we are seeking to redeem it and its beautiful elements for the greater body of Christ. Number two, we are not affiliating with or becoming a mainline denomination. We're not becoming Methodist, Baptist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian. I love all of those expressions, and that's why I'm... You gotta understand, if we're gonna pray for revival in our city which we have. If we're going to pray for the church to be united in the city, which we have. If we're going to pray that our pastor connect with other pastors in the city, which we have. We can't engage in those prayers with our spiritual arrogance and pride. Assuming that in those relationships, we're the best people at the party because we got Holy Ghost and flags. Because we got a word. And they start asking things about, you know, things that have been around in our tradition for 2,000 years. And we go, I got a word. It means we have to learn. It means we have to humble ourselves. It means we have to do hard work. It means we have to approach things like learners. It's like a missiological paradigm. We're entering into different cultures. And we don't approach those cultures as the teacher. We approach those cultures as students. We are seeking to understand more fully what it means to be a Christian church. Don't miss that. When all hell breaks loose, it don't matter. The government, the empire, the beast, and the devil don't matter if you associate yourself as Pentecostal or Presbyterian, as Methodist or miraculous. He don't care. What matters is are you a Christian And what matters to me is God form us to be a Christian people, a Christian church, a people of God that are Christ followers. Yes, we will have charismatic expression. Yes, we believe in the charismata. Yes, we believe in the fullness and the gifts of the spirit, but we are Christ followers, not sensation followers, not miracle followers, not expression followers, not doctrine followers, not form followers. We are Christ followers because he and only he is the one that has power of salvation for the lost and the world. The Christians, the disciples, Acts 9, 26, were first called Christians at Antioch. We belong to a Christian heritage. The prophetic heritage is 50 years old, guys. The charismatic heritage is about 60 to 70, and the Pentecostal heritage is about 110 years old compared to 2,000 years. We'll talk more about that in the future. We are not becoming a man-centered, man-pleasing, seeker-sensitive church. We are seeking to diversify our understanding of worship and the variety of biblical practices that God has designed to reveal his faithful presence in the earth. All right, this is part one. Let's stand to our feet, guys. Man, you guys have been so gracious. And I just want to say thank you for your patience as, as those come to the table and, and, and bring the elements to the table. Move quickly if we could, guys. Um, you know, some of you might be saying, why have you not shared all this earlier for God's sake? 
I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't even realize. I was just pretty naive, and I didn't even realize I was on a journey. I was just pursuing God. And let me tell you, man, I'm getting more stuff, I'm getting more dreams and more prophetic words personally than I ever have before. Go figure. But I just kind of looked back, and then all of a sudden, you know, so many people started asking things, and I went, oh my gosh, we... We're, we're not really the same people, are we? We've, we've kind of made some changes and I just didn't realize it was just seeping out of me. And so forgive me. I've not wanted to keep anyone in the dark. I've not wanted to try to strong arm anybody in anything that's not been my heart. I've just been on journey. I've just been on pilgrimage. And I've just been trying to follow Jesus. The best that I know. The best that I know. And so for those of you who experience instability, insecurity, frustration, question, confusion, let me, let me validate those things. Let me also talk in the future about how to handle those things well, but today let me validate those things. Things have been a little bit more turbulent than I've been aware of. And so peace. And as you move forward and you engage with the Lord and as you sit through the next couple of messages where we kind of unpack this some more and you go, you know, I, I, I don't really feel called to that. I, I want a just blow and go, full on, 100% charismatic prophetic expression. I bless you. This is the journey that God has us on right now. I humbly ask that you take this journey with us. I'd love to see where this takes us. But if you don't feel that you can make that next step, I I respect that and I bless that. So we're going to come to the table of the Lord. Jesus bids us come.